I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Aaron Stressner chased his rock and roll dreams to New York City in the 1990s, where he spent a decade performing with his band Dead Left and working behind the scenes at the Knitting Factory. Fast forward a few years, he now hangs his fedora in eastern Nebraska, where he's an essential member of that region's jazz scene. Aaron Stressner, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. Thanks for making it today. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, how does a kid from Monroe, Wisconsin, find himself in New York City making music for a decade and later find himself in Lincoln, Nebraska? Uh, uh, first of all, I, well, I was going to say, first of all, I'm just glad you called me a kid. But then I realized, no, you're going back in time, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. When I first wound up in New York City, well, I suppose like a lot of people would say, that was a personal bit of luck. My brother uh, was a first-year professor at Columbia University. He's three years older than I. I think he was like the youngest professor they ever hired. Wow. But uh, So he moved to New York. And I was going to school in Boston. I was living in Boston, but I had finished school and I knew I needed to go somewhere else. But I didn't really think that New York was in the cards. But I turned around and my brother has moved to New York and uh, and he asked me to come and visit. And I visited for a weekend and he said, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't want to live in New York. (laughs) And I told him at first, well, I had some other things in mind, but boy, it only took my first visit. And by the end of that first visit, I said to him, well, well, maybe, maybe I can, maybe I should. And then, and then, so I was able to stay with him for, you know, maybe the first six or nine months of my living in New York. And of course, any kind of transitional help like that is great. And then, and then I realized, boy, uh, a lot of my friends from Boston had kind of made that trip too. And they were in Park Slope. And then ironically, uh, my brother wound up living in the very same neighborhood that I was in. That was Park Slope at the time, um, which uh, was a little bit less expensive, a little bit more artsy uh, back in the 90s than it is now. And um, and then strangely enough, you know a little bit about my bio, probably. Uh, I, I uh, Although uh, I was around some of these fantastic jazz musicians in, in Boston, you know, I, I really was around... <laughs> really such such masters at a young age that I, I really needed to take a step back. And again, my first years in New York, um, I had a rock band. I was a singer-songwriter, and uh, and uh, I, I worked for a while at the Knitting Factory, the, the original club, the Knitting Factory, which was totally avant-garde, I think. So I, you know, was not thinking straight ahead jazz for the next decade, really. My first decade in New York, I wasn't really you know, thinking about those sorts of venues and those sorts of clubs and any of that kind of music. It was more avant-garde and it was more noise and, you know, guitars and electric instruments. So we got to go there somewhere in our lives. Um, So uh, that got me on a very different path for a long while. I made several uh, records as a singer-songwriter in New York. I had a band called Dead Left, (laughs) which was... uh, a name with many references, yes, but at the time I thought myself to be very much a political liberal and a radical, and uh, we were we were dead left, and maybe I still am. Um, but I'm also left-handed and all that stuff, and it's kind of left left 
left side of the brain, right side of the brain. It seemed to me that Dead Left was going to be this perfect name for a rock band. And, and, and wow, I kept a rock band together in New York City for a decade, which is kind of crazy. And uh, made uh, five CDs with them, I think. And, uh, and uh, we thought that was, you know, I thought that was a project that, you know, that was my life's project. And then, and, uh, and then, uh, and then it felt just as much as it felt like it was my life for a decade. Then I turned the page and, uh, and uh, wound up leaving New York for a while. And I guess the second part of that question was, how did I wind up in Lincoln, Nebraska? Well, after a decade of having my rock band in New York, I mean, what am I going to do next? That's going to top that. I mean, <laughs> so, um, gee, strangely enough, I, I jumped on cruise ships for a while. I played for a couple of years as a musician on cruise ships, which was great traveling the world and, you know, and, 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 and really not a bad experience as far as playing. How many opportunities do we really get that we have to play hours every single day? I mean, you raise your professionalism, even if you're just playing dance music. You get really good at playing dance music. <laughs> so those were good years, too. But then that led me back to uh, wanting to go back to school, actually. I really wanted to kind of get back into jazz. And I thought, really, that school was almost more of just an opportunity to get around guys who are really good. Because kind of when you're on your own in these clubs and societies and scenes as it is, it's still kind of high who you know, and it's sometimes can be very difficult to really get in the middle of things. Whereas, boy, if you're going to show up to town and, as a graduate student in, in the jazz program, you're going to meet everybody <laughs> right away, which is really great. So even though Lincoln, Nebraska kind of seems maybe in a way uh, far, far removed from New York City, um, you know, it is a very receptive music community. And again, they all kind of knew who I was kind of right when I showed up. And I've always been asked to do all sorts of things and other projects with people. And I still like to always prioritize my band and my songwriting, as it were. Um, but it's always nice to, to, to be able to do other projects and just stay busy with all sorts of things. Um, you mentioned your time in New York, you worked at the Knitting Factory. Which location was it at that time? Was it Houston Street or was it the later? Oh, yeah. East Houston, the original. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I was right in the office there with Michael Dorff. Yeah. And Michael Dorff was from Milwaukee, of course. Maybe you've talked about Michael probably in your interviews before. Yeah. We haven't actually, but uh, definitely a figure. He's doing city winery these days, yeah. I've been to that location a number of times and also to the later location. Behind one of the bars, they had the coolers or whatever covered with stickers and this this one that just popped out to me every time i went was it it said nobody cares about your band <laughs> we get through this right now yeah. uh when i was when i was working there uh, as well uh, work, i actually worked well i said that i worked at the, at the place at the label he had a small record label and then i was helping to promote his artists as well and uh, one guy who worked there now i'm now his name's gonna escape me the front man of the band Soul Coughing also worked in an indie factory. And here I'm trying to tell you that he was an acquaintance and kind of a friend of mine. And like, his name escapes me. Um, but again, yeah, that was, he was, that was a very happening, fresh kind of band right there too. And, you know, then they had major label success. Um, but I think they only had maybe one in the, in the top, you know, in the top 10. You really got to have, you know, more than one to be remembered. <laughs> yeah. Unless, unless you're like a, 
the songwriter from Semisonic or something like that who can <laughs> yeah, yeah. go on to a career yeah. making music with a lot of people. Yeah, so um, in there somewhere, you, you went to L.A. for a while, too, I guess. Um, did you have a particular vision for the career that you were trying to establish? Or were you moving from one opportunity to the next the way most people chasing a dream do? Uh, yeah, I only had a clear vision for that first 10 years. Of 50, I was really in New York City for 15 years. Um, that first band, Dead Left, <laughs> uh, that was real focused vision that that maintain over a decade's worth, you know? And then, boy, after that, then it kind of became much more about mm, not this huge overaching vision of knowing where this is going next. Knowing that I still wanted to be involved and active and there was no way I was kind of walking away from. But, you know, that is hard if you're trying to do up a, a, a project like that and, and you're and you know what what invariably happens is it's not really that you're looking to cash in that's such a horrible notion to cash in but before you cash in you are running huge losses you know i mean because you're investing everything you can into it so so it ultimately it, finances do come into play although you don't want to say that but it's just like how many more thousands of dollars can i dump into this thing you know so and then when it doesn't happen, then, yeah, you, you better lick your wounds and you better take some time to think about. And really, as an artist, as a musician, what well, you know, why did that fail? Or, you know, or what about that? Did you really like what are what are your strengths? You know, reassess yourself, reassess the situation. Of course, you better do a real honesty gut check about saying like, huh, you know, I mean, with music, I, I've been saying this. I've been around my friends and family a lot in the last couple of days. And I said, I said, the longer of a career you have, you know, I, when do you decide that you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish? I mean, when do you declare yourself a winner and go home? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. How do you define success? Yeah. You better declare yourself a winner. Don't allow yourself to go home a loser. But you, you got to hang it on something. So what's it going to be? You know, now I've kind of come out with a, couple CDs with Aaron Stressner Quartet and you know uh, I would like to see it still as this this upcoming project that has many many lives but boy with each release you know and with each <laughs> promotional push and campaign and all these things um, you have to reassess uh, you know every few years music really changes again the older I'm getting as well things really change yeah I mean I wouldn't have known when we were in college that, boy, everything we listen to in college, that's not really going to be very popular at all in 20 years. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how does jazz maintain any sort of relevance in yeah. today's society? Yeah. yeah. And or how are you even going to define what is jazz anymore? Mm -hmm. You know, I realize when I'm you know, pushing my CD now, you know, some stations say it's great and we love it. And some just say not for us. Yep. I have to realize, well, I have no idea what they mean by that. They, they, they could be real straight ahead. They could be classic recordings. They could be playing stuff from the fifties and sixties all day long, or they could be kind of smooth jazz, kind of you know, LA jazz or whatever I might want to call it kind of R and B funk jazz, in which case I don't really want to be there either. I don't really belong there either. So I guess that raises the question of where do I really belong on the radio? But that's just a whole other. <laughs> well, whole now, you're, now you're talking about radio, which oh. does radio even exist anymore? Right. Why am I talking about radio? <laughs> you're right. 
the promotional stuff that I, I could or should be doing, or sometimes I hit myself over the head and wonder like, why aren't you doing, I, you know, I, I do not have an Instagram presence. <laughs> I don't, I'm not making a lot of short videos. Um, boy, oh boy, there are some artists who really do fantastic stuff. And I really find inspiration mm -hmm. from some Instagram videos. I don't mean to belittle what some guys are doing with it. What's your, what's your time limit on that? Something like 90 seconds or something. There are people actually leaving inspiring little sessions in a minute, mm -hmm. but I just can't get excited about doing that. And then, and then I'm still of a generation where I guess I think Facebook is like social media, right? So I do all my Facebook posts and you're like, Facebook is so like not happening anymore. And I'm just kind of too old and too lazy to adapt. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When you get it figured out, let us know because uh, uh, everybody's uh, in that boat. I'm trying to be a musician here. I don't really want to master all these formats. And I guess I'm supposed to have somebody who maybe will do that for me. That's a balance too. Like how much, as you said, how much do you want to lose, you know, pursuing this stuff? Yeah. You know, the literally the title of Gifts helped kind of set me straight on this whole project again because yeah i mean I, I we recorded these tracks one day almost a year ago i mean even when you're mixing and and putting it together you're kind of wondering where's this going to go you know i mean how much how much am i going to lose on this project um but gifts what was that about that's about the 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 gifts of my parents, the skills that they had, the things that they all did beyond their careers as teachers and professors. They were actors and they were singers and they were builders and they were designers. And uh, that's, that's what I was trying to pay tribute to with gifts is uh, really all the gifts that they kind of brought to the table and exhibited throughout their lives. Again, regardless of whether, whether there's going to be any payoff on this at all or any even amount of attention or almost even appreciation. It doesn't matter. This is what I do. I, my mom quilts now, so she'll, she'll give you a quilt. And that's, you know, it's, it's it, when, when somebody has a gift like that, you, you, you sh just shouldn't be denied. Just, 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 yes, allow the gift to grow. Allow the, the skill, you know, to develop and grow and, and give wholeheartedly and willingly and we won't worry about the rest at least for a while yeah. <laughs> and that kind of helped me in my own mind write off all this crazy expense and this whole challenge of like how am i going to succeed with a jazz quartet in the modern world i mean again how am i going to ever declare a victory in any of this it's going to be real hard going and a long hard slog you know um um I guess there are a lot of different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Well, I think like you said, just keep redefining success until it works for you, you know? Yeah. I and like keep, that. Keep making art because it's important to make art and it's essential, you know? Yeah. You've lived in New York, which is obviously a destination for players who are serious about careers in music. Now you live in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is of course a much smaller community, but there are good players everywhere. Um, certainly a larger pool in New York, than there might be in Nebraska, but how is it different for you putting together a working jazz band in Nebraska than it would be to do that, say, in New York? Well, it's just that I have I have about two about I'm about two deep in every position of guys who I'm kind of comfortable playing with, 
maybe two drummers in town who I can call. And when I say in town, I really kind of mean um, Lincoln and Omaha. They're, they're kind of my cities now. I actually live in Omaha right now. Okay. Um, but that's an hour away and the whole scene kind of the same. But in, in that scene, boy, you know, a handful of bass players I can work with, a handful of drummers I can work with. And Kevin Lloyd, my keyboard player, he's irreplaceable. <laughs> so, um, so keep him uh, happy. Yeah, that's right. So it's just a smaller pool. Of course, in New York, yeah, you just, you'll just, you, there are just more options as far as that goes. Um, and uh, I guess, I guess with those options and with all those varied connections, again, uh, they're just, it's such a freelance world that if you really get into the, the jazz world, the true players level, then, you know, people ask each other to do things all the time. And you're really kind of almost used more as a freelance guy than you are doing your own projects. Or whatever. I don't know. I don't suspect I'll ever kind of cross into that world. I, I, I think that I'll always, I'll kind of be associated with this repertoire of mine, and and you know I'm comfortable with that. Uh, that that I'll I'll prefer to spend my time working on my music uh, a little bit more than feeling like uh, I, you know I'm the perfect guy to add a touch to your project. You know. Um, I don't know if I'm exactly. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, to what extent do you choose to tailor things to the specific individuals that are in your circles? Yeah, um, I think I know where you're going kind of with some of that. And, and, and I would say that I don't at all. I, I would say that uh, that you, know, you expect your drummer to be able to do this feeling, this feeling, this feeling. And, you know, you expect everybody, you know, there are a lot of unwritten assumptions between musicians who claim that they're a jazz musician, right? And, and this, my music is clearly jazz, although clearly I'm employing all these other things. But again, I just presume you're going to know that, uh, you know, yeah, I have like a, you know, a reggae tune on my record. Like, no, we don't ever have to talk about like, you know, if I'm working with a new drummer, I don't have to ever, I just say it's the reggae tune. I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. So much doesn't need to be said. Right. Yeah. Um, one part of that question, maybe, though, that we're ignoring a little bit, though, too, is also the um, impact of the city and the scene on the audience. And, and I was reminded of something a, a good friend of mine mentioned to me that he had just been in New York and we were reminiscing about Smoke, this place on the Upper West Side that mm -hmm. I like to go to a lot. And he said, you know, I was just there a month or two ago. And he said, he said but remember, he said... <laughs> He said, when I was there, to tell you the truth, I looked around that crowd and, and they were European or Asian. They were all uh, they were uh, they were also tourists. So you're you are still playing for tourists in New York City. And, and I realized when he said that, that he was right, that he wasn't exaggerating. But it is kind of funny uh, when we here in the, wherever we're from, or <laughs> we tend to romanticize New York. And we would tend to believe that, again, they're the hippest audiences in the world. And, oh, they love jazz. And, oh, they come out and they support and they really know. I think we're falsely attributing a little too much power here. That What it really kind of still is, is it's, a, hey, it is a culture, people. And I am a, you know, I'm really kind of a New Yorker. I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan. Don't get me wrong. But again, it's a, it's a numbers game. And that there you're, anyway, it's 8 million people as opposed to 1 million in this town or what have you. And, 
And then also, uh, again, don't deny that, uh, yes, you are still playing the tourists in those cities as much as you are in any city. And and then that's just different, too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Pops the bubble just a little bit about, you know, the romance of that scene or something. Well, I think it's important to do that, really. It's important to understand. There's a lot of there's a lot of romantic associations and notions about the scene and what these clubs are supposed to be like and you know it gets real heavy doesn't it it's not really very realistic again there's a there's a i try to avoid too many details when i tell you these stories but there's a club near where i'm from where again they made a jazz club you know million dollar jazz club out of nowhere and you can build it it doesn't mean they'll come (laughs) Um, and you can pay tribute and, and it can be gorgeous. And, but if you're not really interacting with people in a regular day-to-day way, in an honest way, it's a pipe dream. You're living in some fifties fantasy here or something where we all still wear pork pie hats or whatever. <laughs> By the way, I do sport a fedora when, when it gets a little colder. So again, I got to tell on myself. All right. No judgment. <laughs> no judgment. Well, tell us about the band that's going to be performing in Madison. Who's in the group? What's the instrumentation? And what's the repertoire going to be? Uh, when I play the Aaron Stressner Quartet, I'm happy to say it's almost all my stuff. Because now I have a couple CDs worth of uh, music to draw from, maybe 20-some songs that I draw from. And I've even put them all together in a nice little book for my guys. And they're alphabetically organized so that... <laughs> <laughs> because when we do these sets, I never have a set list. So if there's extra time between songs, that extra time is just me thinking about it. <laughs> it's not the guys finding the songs, right? They can find the songs in their alphabetical books. Um, again, I've mentioned his name before, but uh, Kevin Lloyd is the Hammond B3 player on the records. And uh, uh, Kevin is, uh, is you know, he's the, he's the, you know, the spotlight goes on him. He's such a natural player, and and uh, it's just such a treat to be in the presence of a capable B3 Hammond organ. Um, you know, I mentioned the Knitting Factory days, you know, before, and I'll tell you, part of my connection to the Hammond organ was when I worked for the Knitting Factory, whatever year this was, late 90s, I managed a tour that, that featured Don, John Medeski on the road for a month. I traveled with John Medeski on the road for a month. I saw him play live for a month. Nice. Oh my God. Oh my God. And you know, right then and there, you're like, damn, an organ is just, it's incredible. It's just incredible instrument. So uh, I was won over by him entirely. <laughs> and Medeski, Martin and Wood, of course, were having a real ascent then. They had a real nice run of, but they 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 were road 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 warriors. Sure. <laughs> I was to say yeah, they really yeah. hit it hard. Um, well, and you're from Monroe, Wisconsin, which maybe this is later than your time. But uh, Jimmy Vaguely, the and the Jimmys, he's from Monroe, I think that vicinity. I don't know that name. He's a tremendous blues organ player and uh, oh. leads a horn band and uh, yeah, I know from the Monroe area. So I got to go. It's in the water or something. All right, I gotta go look it up. Um, 
uh, uh, my bass players and uh, have changed on the last couple records. And I've worked with some different people. Michael Fredrickson will be coming on the road with us. And um, the drummer on my last two records was a young man named Andrew Ray. And uh, Andrew's not on the road with me anymore. Uh, Andrew was in Lincoln, as was I, uh, for school, um, going to the University of Nebraska. They, they, they can really bring in very talented people. You know, these Big Ten universities and all the big schools, they, they, they treat recruitment almost like college sports. You know, they really, they focus on these guys and they find them these brilliantly talented high school kids. And Andrew Ray was one of those guys and he shows up at the University of Nebraska. And he's 21 years old and he's you know, kind of laying it down for everybody. And he was always uh, that kind of guy. I think that Andrew's personal tastes are verging on the more eclectic and the more modern. So, um, and then more than that, he just had to move to Kansas city. So uh, for, for various reasons, that's kind of split up. Um, but I, I do like the, the group that I'm with right now uh, very much. And, uh, and actually uh, I'm working with a drummer here in Milwaukee to do the Milwaukee and Madison shows. So that's Scott Napoli. So uh, now again, this is a this is a, a really just a word of mouth reference. A, a great a horn player that I know in Omaha, Jorge Nila, said to me, "I said, Jorge, none of my drummers can come with me to Milwaukee. Well, to try this guy Scott Nebley. He's great." And I did the homework, and sure enough, Scott's doing shows, leading shows at Blue and all the Milwaukee clubs. And I said, "Well, I'm sure this guy can." So I'm in Milwaukee right now, and we're going to run these tunes and. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to walk on the stage completely, completely dry with a, with a new face. We'll, we'll get a feel for him. And he's been able to listen to these records for this amount of time, which is real nice. Well, Aaron Stressner, thank you so much for stopping by the Showbiz Roundup today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletakebuzz.com. Catch you later.